Welcome to Invest Stories. Whether you're a seasoned pro looking for that next step or a newbie investor not sure where to start, Invest Stories unlocks the mindset, strategies, and techniques of high performers across business, real estate, and investing to help you level up your journey to financial freedom. This is Invest Stories Tuesday Techniques. That's really interesting. I'm trying to think how that, um, a lot of our listeners are real estate investors. Uh, growing real estate businesses and I think there's there's something really in that in terms of not being attached to um, kind of specifics of a real estate you know there, there's it's making it from a uh, an emotional decision turning it from an emotional decision into more of a meaningful kind of yeah. business tactics decision I guess does that sound right yeah yeah well so real estate is is has a different um genesis than like a startup True. like a meaning like trying to solve a new problem in a new way you know a real estate you really it's really much more about strategy right and strategy is much more about differentiation and choice and choice what to choose not to do than what to to do so you can be like you want to be seen as the go-to company for this thing whatever that is right i mean ikea is a, just a furniture company there's mm -hmm. t tons of furniture companies but they're the go-to for a particular customer which, which, that wants a particular kind of thing and not anyone else. Southwest is the same thing for airlines, you know, and they've been the most profitable airline for 50 years in the public markets, um, far out, you know, outdistancing any other airline. And only recently uh, were they not only, they're, they're, I think they're the seventh or eighth largest airline in the world, which is crazy because they only serve mm -hmm. basically North America and mostly America, which, you know, we're a big country, but we're only a few hundred million people. There's billions of others. Um, but they've almost always been number one mm -hmm. or number two in profit, even though they're much, much smaller than everyone else, but they're, they're a highly profitable airline. So those are the things you got to, you got to figure out. You got to figure out how to be different, not how to be better. I, I have this convoluted sentence I give to folks. I said, when it comes to strategy, different and better is best, but different is always better than better. <laughs> right. I'm gonna I'm gonna clip that, but and so I'm figure probably that one gonna out. loop it a couple of times. Okay. I'm trying to process that. Okay. Trying to process it. <laughs> it actually makes sense. When, so that that's really interesting. So a, a friend of mine, um, we were talking about uh, have you heard of Prime Energy Drink, which is this influencer backed energy drink yeah. um, and I've we were discussing it, are we in a post quality post product age so actually the product doesn't matter it's the differentiation and the marketing or the perceived differentiation that's all that matters for, for a while, for a while. Yeah, that, it catches that is up. true right if you can spend a lot of money but if you don't if you don't so so this is mm -hmm. you get back to jobs to be done right and and basically the premise behind jobs to be done is that people don't buy products and services. They hire them to do a certain job for them. And that job typically has one up to three different um, needs they're trying to meet. Functional needs, which is we're usually pretty good at, right? This is the pull and push of, you know, the, the need and uh, et cetera. But there's also social and emotional needs. Social is how they're perceived by other people. That is part of their process, Right. And I and my joke my my story here is Mercedes and Toyota. They basically do the same thing, right? They're really good cars. They last a long time. They're safe, but when you're in a Mercedes, you know people are looking at you and they're like, oh, you know, John has made it. John John must be doing well, you know. 
Uh, and you're probably in there th- feeling pretty good about yourself, right? I'm in a Mercedes, right? Or, you know, and that's the, that's the emotional thing. Like, how do I feel when I'm doing this thing? And when you work, when you figure out what those two or three things, are, it's not always three, but it's typically two of those things, then you've got something, right? You, you have met um, what people won't necessarily admit to, right? They're not going to admit that I feel better about myself because I have a Mercedes. Um, but that is one of the reasons they buy the car. And if you can figure that out, as well as the functional um, aspect of it, uh, then you, you've done really well. Um, so rega- with regard to your, you know, to your example, um, that's what you have to figure out. And most people don't, they, we don't bother doing that, right? We're, we're pushing, you know, um, and that with the jobs we've done, there's also a theory called the progress theory, which is that when we make a decision, which is a buying as a decision, there are four forces that are working us towards a decision, two forces that pull us toward a decision, which are the push and the pull of the decision itself. Again, that's more functional. You know, you have, you're dissatisfied with something, right? Uh, and then you see someone else or, and or you see someone else doing it differently and you're like, oh, so that's the pull. The push is the dissatisfaction. And we're kind of good at that. But there are also two, two forces that work against us, which are called habit mm-hmm. and anxiety, right? Anxiety is the fear of the new thing, Right. Is it not going to work for me? Am I going to look stupid doing it or whatever? And then the habit is, you know, we don't really like change. So, you know, yeah, we should do it, but uh, I'll just, it's fine. It's good enough. You know, I don't need to change this. So, so the push and the pull have to be stronger than, than the habit and the anxiety. And if you can work that into your situation, um, then you're a better, you're at a better, um, uh, you're in a better position. So there's one story I'll quickly tell with, with related to that. So one of the guys, Bob Mesta, who is the, one of the progenitors of this, this jobs to be done thing, used to sell condos or help someone sell condos. And, and but by the way, Bob has helped 3,500 different products over the last 20 or 30 years. One of them is Snickers, Casper mattress. Wow. So, you know, these things, you know, people know these things, but this one is a great story because, so he, he did this thing. He went out and he had talked to people and, and he had three different customers. One was an empty nester. And the empty nester said they kind of want one level living. You know, they want, you know, two bedrooms because they want the kids come over, the grandkids come over, friends, they want to be able to do that and et cetera. So they made this thing and they, and they did pretty well. And then sales started to fall off uh, and they couldn't figure out why. So they went back and started asking people who almost bought what was going on. And they kept hearing dining room table. So they like dug in, like, what's, what's about the dining room table? What, what happened was people had the dining room table and they didn't want to leave or this is the anxiety or even the habit, right? I don't want to, I can't just throw out my dining room table. It has all the memories of everything we ever did, right? We did homework here. We had played games here. We had dinners here with great talk, right? So it didn't seem right. You know, it wasn't logical, but it, it doesn't matter. You know, we're irrational. Um, so what they did is they changed the, the layout and they made, they made the second bedroom smaller and they made the dining room bigger so they could bring the dining room table if they wanted to. Um, they also had other things with, you know, all the stuff they had. And so they did like a sorting room over a couple of years. And then what happened was sales went up, mm-hmm. right? Because that was one of the, one, the anxiety, they, they alleviated the anxiety. Most people wouldn't even bother to think about that, right? They just keep pushing, right? It's a price thing. Oh, we'll just, we'll do this for you. We'll, you know, we'll furnish it for you. You know, they'll jam it in. They didn't do that. They had to figure out what, what, one of the things that was, was preventing this from happening. And then sales naturally just went up just by leaving that. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You're on mute. That's incredible. Um, I think back to when my grandparents moved out of their huge apartment in an old 
Victorian house into a small apartment and they just furnished the whole all the halls of their apartment. It was hilarious. It was like walking through an extended version of their <laughs> their living room, which is quite funny. <laughs> that's one way. Of yeah, exactly. That's so that's so smart. Yeah, the, of course it makes sense because there's so much emotion attached to our possession, like especially a dining table. Yeah. You know, we have we have a small child sit around the dining table every night. We have those memories building up right now. So I totally, yeah. totally get that. Of course. In, yeah, yeah, in yeah. terms of um, the failure of businesses. Is there like a hard and fast rule of why businesses fail at those milestones? Is it kind of a, no. you no. said the the compounding kind of, of, of small failures or small mistakes? Well, it's a, it's, it's a really great question. Um, Cause about five years ago or so I asked the same question. I said, well, you know, why do businesses fail? So I, I got all this data, like 50% in five years and then 75% in 10 years or whatever the numbers were. And I'm like, well, why does that happen? And there must be some a reason. And I, I looked up a lot of stuff. And then it's funny, a lot of what I read is, well, they ran out of cash. I'm like, well, that's not the reason they failed. That was the result of the failure that was yeah. in front of it, right? So I just I just started Googling it. I didn't do anything crazy. you know. I just started Googling it and I started writing down all the reasons why businesses fail. And at 35, I stopped. Wow. So I came up with 35 different reasons in like two hours. I mean, it wasn't very long, right? This and what were they, research projects, <laughs> you know, And they were all different. Yeah, I'll send you the list. It's it's, it's a pretty big list. Um, and I talk about, I do, a key, I do some keynote speaking and stuff. And I talk about that. And I say, there are lots of ways to go out of business or to struggle, right? Most businesses struggle. And so if, if it's 50-50 in five years, there's still 50 left. And it's not like all of them are doing great. Only a really small portion of them are doing great. Most of the other, like 35, 40, 50%, whatever the number is, 45% are struggling. Right? They're just getting by. Um, they're, they're, they're not really sure what the future looks like for them. Right? They're, they're just trying to make payroll or whatever. Um, and that's a shame because there are lots of ways. There, there are ways to do this and there are proven ways to do this over the last 100 to 200 years that people just don't do. And so that's what I teach them. I teach them what what great businesses do that thrive. Now, do they do it? That's up to them. <laughs> um, but but there are ways to to increase tremendously the chances of success and the less likelihood that you have to in like invest your entire life into your business. Right? That's the other thing. People are like, I just I just spend so much time, and even if I'm not there, I'm thinking about business, and I'm I'm ignoring my friends and my family, and etc. So that's also, I think, the 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 the, mm -hmm. the shame of it, right? Is that we need people to to do these things. We need people to come up with new ideas and and invest. And you know, and small businesses are really the things that drive economies. They're not these big banks, and you know, it's it's the small companies that do it. Um, and it, it I, I want to teach as many of um, of them as I can to mm -hmm. do it differently, because because there is a better way to do it. And most people don't do it that way. Yeah, I guess. And so, in terms of broad strokes, is there like a is there like a rule of thumbs? Not a great phrase, but is there a is there kind of a a few key um, principles people can apply to to kind of getting started? Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so first of all, the, the main principle is that your business is one big system. That's all it is. It has multiple subsystems and multiple components within those. And you have to think of your business as a system. And that's why there's not like one way that everyone does it. You know, everyone does 
if you do one system and you do a really great job in one system. So if you have a great execution system, right, you are, you have great teams, you're doing things really well, you're setting your goals, they're, they're the right ones, they're cohesive, they drive towards the future and don't, don't um, violate who you are, all these things, and you have an okay strategy, that's okay. Many businesses have, you know, have done really well because they've executed really well on a, an okay strategy. Microsoft, I'll tell you, did this for like 30 years. They didn't really have a great strategy, but man, they had, they could execute the hell out of anybody. Right. Uh, and they would just run over people. Um, but when we found out that eventually, you know, Microsoft is not who they are, mm -hmm. who they were, right. They're not an operating system company anymore. Right. They're, they're a business to business, um, provider, right. Not Satya Nadella has gone in and really changed. Um, what what Microsoft is because he he did he did the right thing right he went out and talked to people he he had been there for thirty years so look, good for him that he wasn't like inculcated and just said we got to do more of that he sat back he was very, mm -hmm. it's a very reflective he he just seems like a great guy um, I'd love to sit down and chat with him um, and and he said you know hey our customers that really love us love us for these reasons and we're not really doing that we got to get better and better at those things and. You know, he, he basically turned them around. So Steve Ballmer nearly killed them, um, although it's really hard to kill Microsoft because they have so much money in the bank. Um, but uh, I, I think that's that's one thing is, is you have to think of it as one big system. And then the, 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 the main subsystems underneath are team. So we always talk about culture, and I think culture is important. But culture is a magnet, but it does not hold them there. It attracts people, mm -hmm. but it does not hold them. If you were in a really great culture, but on a really bad team, you want out, right? You either want out of the team or out of the company. Uh, or by the way, also, if you're in a really bad culture, but a great team, you'll True. stay. Yeah, I've had that which situation. Which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I've talked to people, I've heard stories from people like, yeah, I was in this horrible, this company was horrible, but man, our team was awesome. The guy stayed there, one of the guys wow. stayed there for 17 years before he left. And he knew it was terrible. So team is really important. You have to teach people how to be really great team leaders, how to attract great team members, how to assemble the, the, the right team. So a team, a really great team is made up of idiosyncratic people. And you as a leader have to figure out how to manage and, and lead all of these different people who aren't necessarily are we mm -hmm. going to agree, uh, et cetera. And, and doing that really well and then growing the team that contributes as optimally as they can to the success of the organization is a really important skill, which we don't teach. Right, we just throw people in. Typically, if you're technically proficient, mm -hmm. you become a team leader. But that doesn't mean you're any good at leading people or having a vision or doing all those things, right? So you have to be really good at that. Um, the second is strategy and execution. You have to understand the strategy and execution are mm -hmm. two sides of the same coin. They are inextricably and inexorably connected, right? Uh, and I've done this for years. Um, for, for about three years, I was a, a sophisticated speaker, and I spoke to hundreds and hundreds of CEOs, and I would ask them the same question. I would ask them, what is your strategy? Uh, and then they would say it out loud. And then I said, okay, so let's say you, you like this Monday morning when you go back to your office and you have your leadership meeting with everybody, what if you did this? If you went around the room and said, everyone write down in your own words what our company strategy is and then have them read it out loud, what would happen? And to a man, they all smiled or laughed. Right. Oh, it'd be all over the place. It'd be all different. I said, yes, I've done this with my clients. This is what happens. I said, so you might think you have a strategy, but 
it's not the one that everyone else is executing, which is why you're probably really pissed off at some of them for doing the wrong things, the wrong way, the wrong time, et cetera, because they're probably executing on their version of the strategy. And it's your job to get them connected, right? So you have to understand that they're connected because you execute on your strategy. That's what you're doing, right? Uh, and then the last thing is cash. If you really want to understand the health of your business and the ability for your business to have velocity and grow, it's not revenue. It's not even profit. It's cash. Cash is the only thing that won't lie to you on your profit statement or your balance sheet, mm -hmm. your P&L or your balance sheet. And you have to have it before you need it. Because if you want to grow, you typically have to invest in front of growth. So you need to feel like you know how to generate the cash that you need to do that. You can borrow, et cetera. But if you want to do it yourself, you have to do that. So those are the those are the, really the three things I do. Team, this this system approach, which is really primarily focused on strategy and execution. And then we, we use cash as our primary financial growth metric, not anything Yeah, else. and that's really interesting. And I I think that does ring true for, for real estate in so many levels as well. Uh, as I grow my real estate business, having your having your team, right. not necessarily you know W two employees, but having your outward team representing your vision and and connected to your your kind of strategy is is so important. And that miscommunication yeah. piece. Um, one of the things you you've said, and it's it's noted a few times on your website, mm -hmm. is the concept of simplification. And I find that really interesting because I spend yeah. hours procrastinating and overcomplicating systems and things like that when a notepad would do fine, all that kind of stuff. What is, is there kind of a, have you seen kind of the repetition of, of complexity or, or the need to simplify across huh. businesses? And what does that look like? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, there are a bunch of laws out there. Um, the guy who did, um, uh, the Peter principle, uh, et cetera, um, has this as well. Basically is when we have, uh, when we build a system, we add complexity to it because we think that's what you're supposed to do. And that's what, what makes it happen. But if you look at the, 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 the most efficient and effective systems or people or teams or et cetera, they focus on just a very few things. Um, one of the things I love to say, it's in my book is few things truly matter but those that do matter tremendously. And you have to figure out what those few things are. And by the way, this doesn't just apply to business. This applies, you have a, you have a small kid, right? Is It applies to being a parent, right? Don't overcomplicate parenting, right? Your job, in my, so, so I have a 23-year-old and when I, when I became, before I became a father, I really sat down and said, what kind of parent do I want to be? How would I know that I'm succeeding at this thing? And so I boiled it down to the kind of parent I wanted to be was one that my child didn't need when they grew up, but they wanted to be around. So how do I do that? My job is to help them to be self-sufficient, not give them answers, right? Help them figure out, you obviously keep them safe, but there are some sort of fundamental things, right? But don't tell them what to do. Um, uh, my daughter's mother and I rarely said no to our daughter. But what we said was, yes, as long as it was reasonable, yes, but not right now. And as long as we followed through, it was fine. So my daughter knew as long as she was asking reasonable. And as she got older, we then asked her one question, which was, if she wanted to do something, we said, make your case. And, you know, so she got better and better and better at making her case. Uh, and, you know, there was only, there were only one or two times we said no. Uh, to, when she made her case, because it, it was more back to safety. We just didn't 
trust, you know, they were teenagers <laughs> and whatever. And we just like, no, it's probably not a good idea. We trust you. We don't trust them, you know, and we don't want you to be in that position. But rarely did that ever happen. So the same thing has to happen with, with leaders is your job is very much like that. Your job is to like be a parent is your job is to not give answers. It's, it's to give direction and vision and guidelines and just say, you know what, you guys figure it out. As long as you're in here, you know, working in this, um, these guidelines, et cetera, do whatever you need to do, be creative, et cetera. And if it's wrong, as long as you're trying to move towards something that makes sense towards the vision, et cetera, then we'll look at it. We'll, we'll course correct and do it better next time. But we don't do that. We think that we have to have the answers. And this, in this day and age, it's impossible to have the answers. There's just too much stuff going on, right? There's too much information coming from everywhere. So you have to figure out that you're not the answer person. Your job is to, is to provide the vision for your team and or your company, fill it with the right kind of people, and then give them standards and get out of the way, right? Just say, how can I help you? Right. And, and keep, keep teaching the standard. And if they, they miss the standard, so I'm not a big fan of feedback. Feedback is not necessary. Skill base for skill bases. Yes. If you want to build a skill, you need feedback. Right. But if, but if you're trying to do something that's creative, et cetera, it's not necessary. Creating a standard is necessary. Right. So the, 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 the example I give is a meeting, right? Mm -hmm. Most meetings Agreed. suck, right? We're bad at them. They're too long. And, and if I say, well, what's your meeting standard? They're like, what do you mean? <laughs> we have an agenda. I said, okay, so here's what I think. This isn't the thing to do, but what I say is I have six steps for a meeting standard. One is what is the ideal outcome of the meeting? That's the first thing you have to determine and make sure that that's right. Okay, now who in the organization, regardless of, of, of position, title, department, are the best people to have in this meeting to give you the greatest opportunity to achieve that outcome as often as possible? Okay. Only those people should be in the meeting. No one else. Everyone else can contribute to it and be told what happened, but if they're, they don't need to be in the meeting. The second thing is now write an agenda that you think would get you there. And then when you achieve your agenda, stop the meeting, right? When the outcome has been achieved, stop the meeting. By the, so by the way, if it's an hour meeting and you achieve it in 40 minutes, you're done in 40 minutes. If the hour is up and you're not done, make a decision. Do we extend the meeting or reconvene until we, mm -hmm. until we reach this agenda? Then, great, you're done. Now, who needs to be informed about what happened? And then and then let's make sure we get back to say, okay, all of the decisions that we made, how do we know that they were done? And that's really what you do in the next meeting, right? You say, okay, let's review what we did. Did we achieve what we needed to do? Great, let's move on to the next thing. Thank you for listening to Invest Stories. We'll be back tomorrow with Wednesday Wins. Please consider sharing and writing a five-star review. Check out the full show on Friday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.